Now it's time to grab a Bible and, <clears throat> and find the book of Jonah, and we'll continue our study of the book of Jonah in a minute. But uh, before we do that, uh, Wednesday night is the last study, the last episode in the study of the book of Galatians. So in 28 years, we've covered two books, um, Romans and Galatians, and we're moving right along. So uh, come be with us Wednesday night. Uh, the subject matter is important, methinks, and I, I would love for you to hear about that. Now, you're perhaps wondering, okay, now we're finished with Galatians, what will we do in the fall? Well, um, last fall, uh, I created quite a stir by introducing you to a thing called the Apostles' Creed, and people just, oh, where did that come from? And, um, and what does that word Catholic mean? And, and anyway, we've, we've tried to address your concerns <clears throat> with a little asterisk here, so hopefully you'll, you'll discover that. But guys, um, you notice that the Apostles' Creed believe, uh, begins with this, I believe. I, I'm, I'm saying this because we're going to study the Apostles' Creed next fall. Um, and it begins with, I believe. <clears throat> we Christians, we believe certain things. We didn't come into the kingdom through our fingertips. Um, we came into the kingdom because we believe we're committed to certain truths. And some of those are summarized in this thing called the Apostles' Creed. It's in your bulletin. So I would like to ask you again, we do this once a month, we'd like to stand and profess together some of the things that we believe and hold dear. So it's there, and it should be on the screens. There it is. So you engage the brain as you profess to believe these things that we're about to say. So my brother and sister in Christ, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. Another word that you might be concerned about is the word thence. <laughs> from thence he shall come to... From there. It's just a good King James word that uh, we don't use anymore. From there he will come to judge the quick. What's the quick? That's the alive ones. People are still alive. Um, so maybe this thing is becoming more familiar to you. At least I hope so. But if not, come in the fall and we'll study it together on Wednesday nights. Now, back to Jonah. Um, my text is, is really going to be two verses, not one. Uh, but I want to read to you uh, verse 17 of chapter 1 and then verse 10 of chapter 2. Here's the text. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God 
This word endures forever. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was cute then. I'm going to say it one more time. There was only one creature on the face of the planet that was sicker than Jonah. It was a fish. He had a stomach virus, and his stomach virus had a name. His name was Jonah. But you'll notice in the text, in chapter 2, verse 10, you'll notice that the text says, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Well, apparently the fish heard him and did exactly as he was told. He was told to take Jonah to a piece of dry land and vomit him up. And that's what the fish did. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in common parlance, that is what we call a miracle. A miracle. Which, as you know, we live in a, uh, a, an era, a time and a place which says miracles don't happen. So, um, the question before this house is, is this miracle recorded in Jonah, is the miracle of Jonah and the whale, is it negotiable? Um, uh, you probably already know this, but some of the most skillful, the most acerbic and vicious and bitter attack that, that in, in all of skepticism has been aimed at the book of Jonah. And it is aimed there because of this miracle. <clears throat> they, they sneer, they ridicule, and, and even some who call themselves friends suggest that a man is n- n- no better nor worse whether he believes it or not believes it. So is that true? Is this miracle negotiable? Let me broaden the discussion or the question just a bit and put it this way. Not just this one specific miracle, but how about all of them? You know, the virgin birth and walking on water and raising the dead. Are those negotiable? I had a woman say to me one time, she said, my faith is so strong that I don't need miracles. Well, how about you? Um, Can I honor God? Can I honor his word and um, discard the miraculous? Or... uh, Ask differently, can Christianity survive in the face of a loss of the miraculous? Folks, um, quite contrary to this miracle being negotiable, I would say to you that the honor of God, the honor of his word, the, the legitimacy of Christ, And even the destiny of mankind is um, is staked on the veracity of every word, including the miracles. This book is like uh, the proverbial sweater knitted for you by your grandmother. 
And if you pull it one string, pretty soon the whole thing unravels and it collapses beneath you and all you've got left is a ball of yarn. Gang, I would suggest to you that the the question of miracles is at the heart of Christianity. A God without miracles would be the miracle of all miracles. If he cannot work them, that is, miracles, then he's not living. And perhaps even worse than that, um, to have claimed to have worked them, but not to have worked miracles would make him a liar so let me give you my argument for my assertion and and here's my assertion again that the question of miracles lies at the heart of Christianity and the rest of my time with you this morning I want to spend defending that assertion i want to give you my argument that miracles lies at the heart of christianity here we go folks christ himself stands or falls christ stands or falls not just on miracles but this specific miracle recorded in the book of jonah well, how so, Jimmy? How does that happen? Well, you may know this, but Jesus Christ singles out, verse 10 of chapter 2, Jesus singles this out as the pivotal sign of the genuineness of his claims. You remember, he was being attacked and he said, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah, not the sign of Elisha, not the sign of Elijah, but the sign of Jonah. Jesus stakes his deity on the thing that I read you this morning from the book of Jonah. Where does he do that? He does it in Matthew chapter 12, and I'd love for you to take a look at it if you can find it real fast. (laughs) I'm going to read you a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. And they read like this. Um, Jesus answered them. An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, gang, notice. Did you see that he called, first of all, he calls Jonah a prophet. But then you can see very clearly that Jesus believes this whole incident that I read you out of Jonah 2 this morning. He believes the whole thing. And he calls it a sign. And we're going to talk about signs in just a minute. But he acknowledges this whole account to be true. So is he wrong? Is Jesus wrong about this? Because if he is, then what else is he wrong about? 
Folks, you and I have got to view the story of Jonah, including this fish thing, we've got to view that through what Jesus has told us about it. Um, It is Jesus who connects the story of Jonah, being in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, with his story after he was crucified and spent three days and three nights in what he calls the, the heart of the earth. Um, gang, um, what you're seeing here is Jesus making a direct connection between an Old Testament event and his own life and ministry centuries later. By the way, let me give you another example of that kind of thing going on. There are those who would suggest that Adam, of Adam and Eve fame, that Adam is not a historical figure. That his name in Hebrew, Adam, means mankind. And, and what, you, what the word Adam is, it's not an historical figure. It's just a figure of speech. What you get in Genesis 2 and, and 3 is just a, a piece of prosaic literature. Now, doesn't that sound intelligent? And doesn't that sound very academic? That Adam was not a historical feature. No, no, no. It's just a figure of speech. Well, that might sound to you academic and intelligent, but you need to understand a statement that's made in Romans 5 by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is Romans 5, 14, and he says this, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Listen. Who was a type of the one who was to come. That Adam was a type of the Christ to come. So you see, if Adam was just a figure of speech and not historical, and he was a type, of the Christ to come, then maybe Christ was not a historical figure either. And this is all just one big, giant religious fairy tale. But you see what the scriptures have done. They've connected Adam with Christ. And I'm saying to you that Jesus connected Jonah with himself. Guys, it is Jesus who invites a comparison between the dealings of God with Jonah and his own death, burial, and resurrection. Remember, I tried to emphasize it. The text said, just as, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man You see, in both cases, Jonah and Jesus's, there is a death and a resurrection. Jonah was put to death and brought back to life by the hand of God. 
So was Jesus. Jesus speaks of his own death in similar terms with which Jonah uses to describe his own. Jonah speaks of himself being in Sheol. Jesus speaks of himself being in the heart of the earth. But in both cases, the death and burial are judicial processes. Each case is an atonement, the satisfying of divine justice, the, the, the abolishing of guilt and the restoring of peace and the effecting of reconciliation. Both of those stories show God's hatred of sin and his holy character. Jonah's crime offended God and offended his justice. And when the, the, the demands of justice are met, justice was satisfied And the story tells us that the sea stopped its raging. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my sin offended God too. And justice had to be satisfied. And it was through Christ. Jonah's punishment was a satisfaction. Guilt removed, relationship restored, just as my relationship with God is restored through Christ. And and guys, even this, the experience that you find described in the book of Jonah was the means by which the word of Jehovah was ultimately delivered to Gentiles. Now you do know that Christ is said, through his death, burial, and resurrection, as to be the one who broke down the middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles. Guys, we Gentiles, we will always be indebted to a man who spent three days and three nights under the penalty of death. In both cases, the work of Jonah and the work of Jesus is called a sign. In fact, if you'll read the book, the Gospel of John, you'll see that term used six times. This was the first sign that he accomplished at Cana. You know, they were a sign. Now, gang, what is a sign in, in New Testament parlance? A sign is that which gives legitimacy to the message and the messenger. Let me give you an example. Guys, do you remember the story in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus was teaching in a house and the house was crammed full of people and nobody else could get in? And so these guys come bringing their friend on a pallet and he's a paralytic. And so they can't get inside the house and so they go up on the roof. Remember that? They go up on the roof, they take the tiles off and they lower him in front of Jesus. And um, the text says, Mark chapter 2, you can check it out, uh, that Jesus says, seeing their faith, that is the guys that were carrying the pallet, seeing their faith, he turns to the paralytic and he says, your sins are forgiven. 
And there are people in the audience, you know, there's buzzing, they're talking to their buddies, or who's he think he is, that he's forgiven sins. He doesn't forgive sins. And then Jesus says this, so that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins on earth. Take up your pallet and walk. That was a sign. A sign that gave legitimacy to the claim that I have the authority to forgive sins on earth. Guys, Jonah experienced a very similar thing. Because once he arrives in Nineveh, and the, the story of his, uh, what just happened to him is told, that event with the fish establishes the veracity and the legitimacy, not only of the message, but the messenger. And he has a message. The message is God will relent when people repent. And that's the message that he brought. And his miracle of being vomited up onto dry land established the legitimacy of his claim. We're also told that the resurrection was this supreme piece of attestation to all of the claims that Jesus made about who he was and what he, what, what he taught. And it was the resurrection that the apostles took to far and wide in the book of Acts, using it as a piece of attestation about what Jesus said and who he was. That's what signs do. They miracles bid me listen up to the message coming from this messenger. The message of Jonah was repent. People heard what happened with the fish and they said, we better do what he told us. That's what a sign does, folks. It establishes the legitimacy of the message and the messenger. And that is the message, by the way, the same one Jonah preached. That's the message that you and I are supposed to take to the world, that God will be reconciled to those who repent. And then this one final note. Jonah's experience was his preparation for a new obedience. He stands on dry land, and he's a new man with a new career. Similarly, Christ's role changes after his resurrection because his work and his ministry is carried forth through the agency of the Holy Spirit. After resurrection, the whole enterprise shifted. So guys, don't throw this miracle away. 
to do so is to also throw Christ away. Folks, um, this is a miracle that even Jesus uses to illustrate the grand accomplishment of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, um, can miracles save? Do miracles save? No. Gang, do you remember, do you remember the, the, the parable in Luke 16? Um, it's a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And um, they both die. The rich man goes to hell. The rich man, uh, Lazarus goes to heaven. And from hell, the rich man says, Oh, God, would you send somebody to my five brothers so that they wouldn't come to this place? And God says, Tell them to listen to Moses and the prophets. And the rich man says, Oh, no, well, you don't understand, God. I mean, uh, they're not going to listen to that. I mean, uh, um, we need to send uh, something from the dead to speak to my brothers. And God says, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen if someone rises from the dead. You know, later on in the New Testament, Jesus raises the brother of Mary Martha. And um, if you'll read it this afternoon in John 11, it says in verse 45 that many believed and yet others took the information back to the Sanhedrin so that they could plot his death. They saw a resurrection. And their response was, let's kill him. There is another scene um, in Luke 11. It's very interesting, ladies and gentlemen, that nobody ever denied that Jesus performed miracles. What they did deny, what they did do, is that they suggested that he got his power from Beelzebub. Oh, we don't deny that he did the miracles. We just say that he got his power from the devil. So you see, that audience, that audience had to choose from two options. Did he get his power from God or did he get his power from the devil? Is, is that Jesus, is he from heaven? Or is he from hell? Those were their options. And those are your options as well. If you conclude that it could not possibly be that he is from hell. He must be from heaven. But you have not yet embraced him as your savior? What kind of insanity is that? 
You know, folks, I have people say to me twice a year, they say, oh, you know, the ark, Noah's ark is on a mountain on the side of Mount Ararat in Turkey. Wouldn't it be great if they brought that down? Well, yeah, it would be, it would be stimulating for us. But it wouldn't convert anybody. What you have to decide is that are those claims about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, are they the truth? If so, your only option now is to embrace him as the savior of your soul. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us that the book that you, that, the, that you have gone to great extremes to save us, but you've also gone to great extremes to give us a book, a book on which we can stake our eternities. And I pray, Father, that you will remind people here today that all of this chatter that they hear from time to time on the news feeds is just that. It is, um, it is a similar attempt to try and discredit and overturn the claims of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the only options men have are the options of did he come from heaven or did he come from hell? Would you convince each soul in this room this morning that this Christ of which we sing is the Christ of God, the very Messiah, the one whose death, burial, and resurrection means life for us? We ask it, of course, in the name of Jesus.